one of the best things you can do, um, whether it's related to the outdoors or, or really anything else, is surround yourself with people who are passionate about what they're doing. So I always try to um, follow along with people who are um, you know, hiking a little bit faster or know just a little bit more or who have been in the field just a little bit longer. The Life in Motion podcast is brought to you by Actual Outdoors. They help build beautiful brands that highlight the approachable and authentic parts of outdoor recreation. Said simply, they keep it real. Learn more at actualoutdoors.com. This is a Life in Motion audio experience, a podcast about travel, action sports, culture, and more. What's up and welcome to episode 124 of Life in Motion. I've got Ben Sherman with me from Roaring Fork Outdoor Volunteers. They promote stewardship of our public lands while engaging their community in education, restoration, and conservation projects. I'm excited to learn how they do this and why it's so important for the outdoors we love. Ben, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you very much for having me, Jeremy. Yes, yes. I'm excited um, to have you on and excited to kind of dive deeper into what you do, um, which, which by the looks of it is pretty awesome. But before we get too ahead of ourselves, um, let's, uh, let's kind of talk about your background story, you know. Where are you from? Where you grew up? Um, kind of hobbies you had. What what led you into this um, in the first place? Certainly. Um, so I am um, Midwest transplant to the mountains. I was raised in Minnesota, and an avid outdoors person from a, a very young age. I was fortunate to go on camping trips, fishing trips, spend a lot of time outdoors in beautiful places from a very young age, and. That led me to pursue that through school, um, studied biology and environmental science, and have always just been curious. I've loved sharing the outdoors with other people, love learning more myself and going down lots of different academic rabbit holes to learn more <laughs> about nature. And um, that's led me to a lot of really fantastic positions around the country. Um, I've gotten to teach in Minnesota and do some research out on the West Coast and um, back here to the, the beautiful mountains. So it has been a pretty wonderful ride and feel very fortunate to be where I am with a nonprofit and a really passionate team giving back to some of those public lands that I got to enjoy growing up. That's awesome. So um, I, I'm I'm in the Midwest as well. I'm in Rogersville, Missouri. Um, so you obviously grew up somewhere north. So, um, did did you? Is there ice fishing up there? And there certainly is. So okay. <laughs> and as the lakes froze over, it of course switched from the boat or the canoe to uh, sitting out in the the hut or on on the bucket. And <laughs> it's a very different fishing picture here in Colorado. But um, all of those outdoor experiences certainly helped uh, shape what I'm doing today. So. Um, I still like getting out to to climb and to hike and um, really anything that people more talented than I will will take me out <laughs> along. <laughs> so, um, always good opportunities um, up here in the mountains. So staying along for the ride, I love it. And uh, yeah, I've never um, I'm not really the the biggest fisher myself, but I would like to experience ice fishing at at some point uh, just to kind of get that whole experience. But um, anyway, so. You know, obviously, you, you kind of you grew out in the outdoors with a love for it. And then you kind of you mentioned that you made kind of the transition to more of the uh, learning and education side of it. What like 
what what kind of differentiated between the activity versus the learning and protecting part of it? Like, was it just because you were always out there and you and like you said, you're just curious or was there was it just kind of a natural progression there? Or was there something else that sparked it? Well, it's a, a fantastic question. So um, the the curiosity was always a, a driving factor for me. Uh, but I think uh, especially seeing areas that had been protected or seeing places where the land use had changed, especially in my hometown, um, Austin, Minnesota, very small town in, in southern Minnesota, actually has one of the largest restored prairies in um, the whole state and in, in the whole region. So uh, wow. that story um, really stuck with me, um, explained from a very young age what that looked like you know, hundreds or thousands of years ago. And how it changed when humans moved through and how it's been changed back to really mirror that landscape that uh, has really disappeared from much of that part of the country. So that was no small part um, of that journey for me. And once I have that knowledge in my in my head, I like nothing more than um, sharing nature nuggets with with people. So if I'm out on hikes and we're trying to make a lot of miles, um, I always like hiking with, uh, you know, naturalists, birders, mycologists, other people who are going to stop and point things out and turn over rocks. So I'm not always the best through hiker, but I'd love stopping to, to share that knowledge and, and share that passion with people as we move along. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, that's a good point there. Kind of, you know, it's just interesting how different people experience the outdoors, you know, like in, in your case or in that the through hiking example or the hiking example, you know, you know, you're, you're, you're making that climb, you're, you're enjoying the outdoors and all that stuff, but then you don't always think about like the why, I guess, of the nature. And in your case, obviously you do and turn over all the stones. So um, it's, it's a cool kind of combination there and, and relationship between the outdoors of those two kind of um, situations. So you, you mentioned, you know, you went to school for biology um, and then you, you mentioned that you taught around. Did, did, were you a professor in different classes? Like, what did that look like before you eventually landed in Colorado? Yeah, so um, I had a, a really unique opportunity. Um, I grew up going to um, classes, field trips um, through elementary school, middle school, high school. Um, at a nature center in southern Minnesota, J.C. Hormel Nature Center. And that was hugely impactful, had some really, really wonderful teachers and experiences on that uh, preserve. And after I graduated um, from university with biology and environmental science degree, I actually went back to that same small town where I grew up. There was a opportunity to teach at that same nature center where I took classes. So everything came full circle and I actually <laughs> got to overlap with the director of that nature center in his very last year before retirement. So um, before he um, before he retired, he actually gave me a newspaper clipping that was a photo of me in a birding class when I was seven <laughs> years old and he was instructing the class. So I got to learn from him both as a student and as a, a young educator. Uh, so it was a pretty fantastic full circle experience in a, a really beautiful place that meant a lot to me. So that was my teaching experience um, shortly out of, out of university back in Minnesota. 
Um, I did a brief stint doing some wildlife biology in Northern California, looking for endangered bats. So I still love leading bat programs and dispelling myths about bats. And then had the opportunity to move out to Colorado and teach for another local nonprofit, the Aspen Center for Environmental Studies, where I spent a few years in a couple different roles, working with students of all ages, um, anything from snowshoeing along mountain ridges, being in high alpine ghost towns, looking at beaver dams. So that was a chance for me to really absorb a lot of new information about some new ecosystems and meet a lot of people who were traveling to the Aspen area from around the world and then transitioned from one nonprofit to another. So now at Roaring Fork Outdoor Volunteers, where I've been for about four years at this point. That's awesome. And the I love the full circle story, especially not only that, you know, you went back and, and uh, w- was a teacher there, but that the current director was your teacher at one point. That's a, I feel like a lot of people can't necessarily say that, especially with such a, a wide time frame there. Um, and definitely some unique experiences along the way um, to what you're doing at Roaring Fork um, Outdoor Volunteers um, right now. But so I guess that's a great uh, time to transition to that. So what what is the organization? What is it all about? Um, and I guess also at that point, what attracted you to, um, you know, want to work with them? Certainly. So um, I'm, I'm glad that we started off with our, our mission, but I always tell people my job is to bring people outdoors to build connections between people and between people and our local public lands. So we do that through conservation and restoration projects, and we do that through education. And oftentimes when we hear education, we jump right to students, but that can be education for families, for adults, for learners of all sorts of ages and backgrounds. So what really attracted me to RFOV initially is I have really enjoyed outdoor education in a lot of different forms. Um, But the tangible impact that we have at RFOV was a big draw for me. At the end of the day, when we've packed up tools and we've put our gloves away, it's immediate gratification and the students have a stake in caring for their public lands. It's not uh, something that is ambiguous. It's not something that we're just talking about in the classroom. Um, We provide lots of information, context for the projects ahead of time, Um, lots of tools, training, um, and supervision throughout, and then talk about the impact after we have completed a project day. So that tangible positive impact is really the the main draw, what um, led me to move from one nonprofit to the other and still have the opportunity to um, deliver a different type of outdoor education, which is stewardship education. Yeah, no, no, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, the, the kind of the gratification, I guess, that also comes along with seeing that impact and being a part of it and, and fully understanding it, you know, um, especially depending on how, how in depth you go, you know, it's, it's one thing to, to clean up some trash or whatnot, but then kind of realizing the after effect or the positive act after effect of that, um, so, so I guess to that point, like what are, like, what do some of those restoration and conservation projects actually look like? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. So I often get asked what age groups am I working with? And we typically see students from kindergarten all the way up through high school and college interns. So 
the service that we're providing is matching students, their groups, their educational needs and goals with the priorities from our land management partners. So every one of our projects is a collaboration between RFOV, at least one land management partner, which could be a local town, could be state agencies, could be the BLM or the U.S. Forest Service, and then the education partner themselves. So we have to line up all of these pieces and communicate, you know, what is a successful and meaningful project for first graders? What is a successful and meaningful project for 17 and 18 year olds? So for the younger students, that might look like um, a lesson about pollinators, a lesson about native versus non-native, and then planting some native seed. So that could be pulling out some of those non-native species and talking a little bit about why they don't belong in their ecosystem, and then talking a little bit more about how restoring pollinator habitat is beneficial. So we try to tie it in with their classroom curriculum. And then as students um, are, are moving up through school, as we work with some of those older age groups, we can take on more strenuous tasks. So sometimes that could be maintaining a trail that's been damaged by erosion or has seen a tremendous amount of use, and we just need to go in and um, fix some drainage structures or fix some steps or just trim back overgrown vegetation so people aren't getting hit by branches as they ride on their mountain bikes. And then we take on technical projects. If we have students that are really interested, really committed, um, we'll provide the tools and the training to install bridges or install retaining walls or build things that will be a feature of that trail for decades. So um, it can be from the very small planting a, you know, a planter box outside of the classroom window to literally building miles of new trail over the course of a season. That's awesome. And, and kind of how it, how it uh, builds upon each other, you know, as, as the, the kids get older um, and really brings all that full swing. I mean, that's, you know, one thing growing up, I don't, you know, remember the native and non-native stuff and, you know, the import of, of drainage and that kind of stuff. I'm sure I read about it, but I never had the opportunity to go out and actually experience it, which obviously adds a whole nother benefit to it. So to be actually have that hands-on experience with these different um, projects, which is, which is uh, pretty amazing. So, you know, working with the kids, how do you, how do you get them involved? I guess, like, like, where do you find the, the students in the first place? Yeah, that's a, another great question. Um, so much of what I do throughout the winter months, in addition to some of our programming that continues to run in school and after school throughout the academic year, is outreach. And we have a really fantastic team here that assists with some of that. But we work with essentially every local public school, private school, a whole suite of other youth-focused nonprofits, service organizations like the Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts, um, key clubs, and really any group of students that um, can put together a, a day of service. So sometimes that's sports teams, sometimes that's clubs that meet after school. So we, again, are very flexible and cater to all of those groups' needs and goals and desired outcomes to match them up with work that is relevant. So we keep them in their communities. We're not asking people to you know, load up in a bus and you know, <laughs> move 45 minutes or an hour um, up or down our valley. We try to match them with work that's right in their own backyard. 
And oftentimes it's word of mouth. So when people have had a really successful, enjoyable day with us, um, one teacher will talk to the next or one student will talk to the next. And people actually have begun reaching out to us. So our Young Stewards program, which is the umbrella for all of the different youth programming that we do, um, is moving into its 10th year. Um, we've celebrated a decade of this stewardship education. So we're really well established in our region and there's always more demand than we have days on the calendar. So it's a, a nice problem to have. And we start scheduling our days for spring 2023 trail season um, now through the winter. So we, we fill up quick and there's lots and lots of local partners who have been working with us over the course of, of years. So really a testament to the value that people see in stewardship education. That's awesome. And, and the community obviously has a huge buy-in, um, which, which makes sense. And it's, you know, talking about, you know, it, whether it's, you know, a sports team or something like that, you know, uh, you know, I don't know if they do it as, you know, initially as like team building or whatever like that, just to obviously do something good as well. But, you know, they're, they're getting it exposed and introduced to a whole kind of different side of nature that might lead to, um, you know, something greater for them in, in the future that they didn't think about. Are there any, any kind of stories like that where, you know, I guess similar to yours, um, you know, back home in Minnesota, you know, where you started somewhere um, and then kids kind of come back afterwards to figure out how to, you know, maybe volunteer more or maybe, you know, get to the age where they can start working or anything like that. Yeah, um, there's there's a lot of fantastic stories. Um, one that stands out um, pre pandemic, we led a class called Outdoor Skills and we'd provide that for a number of local middle schools. So after school, um, kind of between those hours of roughly three and five, while parents are still working, um, we provided programming through another local nonprofit so that those students have some type of enrichment engagement um, after school. And one of those classes, um, we had just a really enthusiastic group um, we covered everything from water purification, shelter building, starting fires, just knowledge that students can have to feel more comfortable, more at ease in the outdoors. Um, I had a student who was really passionate, asked a lot of questions, uh, wanted to bring other things to the course, had suggestions for other things that we could explore outside of the curriculum. Um, actually started coming to our community projects to volunteer with his older siblings and with his family and has been at a number of our projects every year since and is coming up on the age where he'll be eligible to shadow and participate um, throughout the summer, learning more about all of the different roles at RFOV. So um, it's been really fantastic to, to see that um, commitment over the course of years and already a really curious student, already had a lot of great knowledge about the outdoors, but that outdoor skills class was really the jumping off point for them to continue to be involved in their community, in stewardship, in asking lots of questions about, you know, what powers these projects and to continue to be involved with our organization. And that's just one, one example, but it's always so rewarding to see students return to volunteer with us or to express interest in internships or to join us for our programming as they age into um, those classes as they move up through school. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's one, you know, it's cool, you know, they're, they're making an impact and, and realizing that, but you're also bringing up kind of that next generation of people like yourselves, um, to, to carry that on as they get older so that they can bring in the next generation themselves. Um, so it's cool to kind of see that growth and kind of see that interest that, you know, um, you know, you're, you're gaining from that. And, and so one thing that you mentioned there was, you know, them coming back or him coming back, you know, with his family or whatnot for the community events. So how, how are they different than, you know, obviously, you know, the school, more, more school oriented um, programs? Certainly. So we have a whole suite of programs within the Young Stewards program umbrella. But outside of that, we provide a number of different offerings for families and for whole communities to join us to take part in stewardship and our largest events throughout our trail season which usually spans about may through october are our community projects and those have been anywhere from 15 or 20 volunteers to several hundred for some larger ecological restoration projects and we always uh, put a lot of information out in our, our media, on our website to say which projects are appropriate for youth, which projects are appropriate for families, what is the work that we'll be doing at these community projects. So anyone who's joined us through those classes, who's volunteered um, in other capacities can register online and show up for a day of service throughout the region. So um, we've got two community projects still upcoming this year. Um, we host usually about 20 throughout the project season. And again, a huge range of, of areas, a huge range of project tasks. And there's usually an educational component as well. So we'll bring in speakers, we'll hear from those land management partners, and we'll have a variety of tasks. So if those students do join us, they might be doing seeding or trimming or um, wildfire uh, mitigation, removing some fuels. And then there might be some more physically strenuous tasks um, like installing steps or building new trail. So we try to provide a whole variety of, of tasks of um, different roles within those um, project days. And it provides opportunities for people to come out with their siblings, with their families, bring their friends. So that's one of my favorite things to see is we introduce students to a new trail or to a new area. And they're so excited about the work that they completed that they want to return to that same spot to point out, you know, the step that they installed or the tree that they planted or the, the banked turn that they built on the biking trail. So um, just added opportunities for more people to become involved in stewardship. Yeah, and that's it's it's cool to kind of uh, how you how you branch out in that sense, and also the the fact that you you know have different projects for um, that might be geared towards different individuals, like you said, you know, the more extraneous ones versus one that's not. Um, and you know, kind of have that bragging right. Hey, yeah, I, I built this over here. Next time they're out there with their buddies or whatever, so. Uh, always makes you feel good. Is there is there any like one project, I guess, that from the community events that just like really stands out in your mind? I mean, obviously, they're all um, awesome and, and amazing. But is there one that just kind of really stands out? Um, so many. Um, they're, they're always <laughs> um, such unique experiences. Um, my favorite thing is being up in front of people, um, again, sharing that knowledge, making these connections. So 
Um, it's always the people that make the project stand out for me. Uh, but one of the ones that's been ongoing for several years, obviously stewardship is never done. So we return to the same sites year after year in many cases, um, is a local trail in Basalt, Colorado called the Ponderosa Trail. And this actually starts in a community garden that's planted and harvested and managed by the community. And one of the main goals of this project was to create a trail that is accessible to many different trail users. So over the course of our last two project seasons, we're working to make this trail ADA accessible. We've installed um, benches and picnic tables to that effect, um, and also installed some different um, sensory opportunities. So um, people with different sensory challenges can still enjoy the, the trail, move through, um, and really experience the trail in a lot of different and interesting ways. So that's been years in the making, and there's a tremendous amount of community support. And we are always trying to think about how we can make the outdoors more accessible. We try to bring in lots of different voices and backgrounds um, from our community. It's not just informed by our small staff here. And that initiative, Trails and Ways, um, has been uh, a really important facet of those community projects to ask, what can we do to engage more people in stewardship? And what can we do to make sure that these outdoor spaces are truly accessible to anyone? That's awesome. And, and you, I mean, it's kind of, you know, when you, when you think about it, you know, how do you make the outdoors a trail accessible for everybody, you know, and, and those things like sensory things and everything is kind of, um, you know, not necessarily outside of the box if you're in that world, but in a sense kind of outside the box. So I'm sure that it comes up with some creative projects. Um, and of course, like you said, reaching that main goal of, of getting more people outdoors and being able to enjoy it and connect with, with the environment. Um, so one thing when I was looking at, uh, your website and whatnot, your impact page, there are some pretty, I thought impressive numbers on there at least. Um, do you want to want to talk about those a little bit? Kind of the the, the specific uh, kind of numbers as far as you know the different uh, impact that you all have had. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm I'm glad you bring that up. Um, so much of what we do is tied into um, some really interesting statistics. So we spend a lot of time and take a lot of care to track what we're doing on public lands, and that's certainly not just to put the numbers up on our website, um, but that's important for our land managers. It's important for our education partners to know, you know, what is your volunteer time accomplishing? People are giving up their time to be able to come out and join us on these projects. And we want to make sure that we have a really great accounting of the impact that we have. So um, for 2021 statistics, um, we worked on 74 miles of trail and in our valley here, we have hundreds of miles of trail, so we can never get to every mile in a single season. <laughs> um, but that's a big chunk of some of the most heavily used and most popular trails in our area. Um, we worked on over 20 acres of degraded land, so that could be removing invasive species that could be replanting after uh, a fire has come through. Um, any number of different restoration projects to help return those ecosystems to a, a healthier and more balanced state. Um, we worked on over 60 different project sites. So if you look at our map, there's little dots all over the western slope of Colorado. <laughs> We've covered a pretty big 
land area across four different counties. Um, people always um, kind of take a step back when I say, you know, I teach across four counties, lead programs across four different counties because um, we put a lot of miles on our on our RFOV van. We we cover a lot of communities <laughs> and, and see a lot of different people. So we had a really great year in 2021, and we're actually looking to exceed some of those numbers in 2022. Um, we've had over 1,100 volunteers so far this year. Um, we see over a thousand individual students throughout the year, and that's in all of our programming. So that could be a library program, that could be an after-school program, that could be um, an assembly to talk about a spruce up your school day where an entire grade is involved in taking care of their school grounds. So there's a huge variety of programming and we see students across such a huge geographic area. And then with those community and group projects and some of our other trainings and opportunities, um, lots of adults and lots of families and all of that kind of combined, we ended up working with over 90 individual partners. So RFOV wow. could not exist without this partner network. Um, to my earlier point, every project is a collaboration. We're bringing together lots of different entities to make sure that we're checking boxes for each of those partners. So that's federal, that's state, that's county, that's municipal, that's nonprofit, it's for-profit, it's large companies, it's small companies. We provide work days for entire staff. We provide work days for the faculty of local schools. So it extends well beyond the planting day with first graders to really every major player in our community. So um, I think we are a, a community building organization just as much as we are a conservation and restoration organization. Yeah, absolutely. And that, um, you know, that's a pretty, pretty big uh, footprint, not just speaking from, uh, you know, the, the places and the projects and, and the locations, but as far as, you know, the number of people as well and the, and the different places that you, uh, you know, meet them to bring that community together. And, and like you said, kind of going back to the statistics, the statistics, there we go. Uh, and, and numbers, I mean, you know, there are a lot of great organizations out there. Um, but, you know, keeping track with of all those specific numbers, I'm sure is a, is a challenge for a couple of different reasons. Um, and but being able to actually, you know, go back and be like, hey, yeah, I, I volunteered here, I did this, and I added, you know, two miles to this total miles that you know, you worked on for the year, or however they look at it, but it, it, I'm sure that's rewarding and makes them want to keep coming back as well. Um, so, so one thing, um, I always like to ask our guests is kind of one piece of advice, um, that they can, or that the audience can take away, um, kind of, you know, for their own, own personal reasons. And, you know, the, kind of starting with, you know, how you started, um, you were, you were very curious about the outdoors and learning new things. And, and then obviously that evolved to what you're doing now, how, how do you feel? what's the best way to feed that curiosity if, you know, you have a love for the outdoors and, you know, you enjoy the activities, but not necessarily the, the science um, involved with it or the biology behind it. How, how do you kind of continue to feed that so that you can grow and, and either, you know, help your own community or help another nonprofit in your area? Like what, what, what would your advice be? Um, that's a, a tremendous question. Um, I 
think um, one of the best things you can do, um, whether it's related to the outdoors or, or really anything else, is surround yourself with people who are passionate about what they're doing. So I always try to um, follow along with people who are um, you know, hiking a little bit faster or know just a little bit more or have been in the field just a little bit longer, um, surrounding yourself with people who are really excited, more than willing to share that information and to welcome you into the fold. So I have the incredible opportunity to work with you know all of those different groups, all of those different partners. So I would say, even if you're not a biologist, look up your local Audubon chapter, look up your local volunteer um, trail crew, uh, take a few minutes and see what are the groups that are spending time outdoors. Even if you're not a birder, even if you're not a fisher person, get out there and spend some time with people who are passionate about what they're doing. They will be excited to share that information, to, to help teach you, train you, um, share what they know about the places that they're spending time. So I think that extends well beyond um, conservation and restoration projects, but um, that's led me to a lot of really wonderful places to build a lot of really great relationships and is something that I keep in my mind all of the time with the projects and programs that we lead here is just really tapping into that network of people who are really talented, really passionate, and love sharing that with newcomers to whatever that hobby or field might be. Absolutely. And that, and that totally makes sense, you know, using, uh, you know, th that network to have to grow and, you know, at the same time, uh, you might be helping them grow as well. Um, so it's kind of a good symbiotic relationship that way. So where, where can people find you online, um, to, you know, get involved if they're in the area or maybe, you know, find some inspiration if, you know, they're on the East coast or the West coast or somewhere else. Absolutely. So um, the easiest way is through our website, which is rfov.org. Lots of fantastic information that, like you say, does not only apply to our valley and the Colorado River Valley um, here on the western slope of Colorado, but we have programs, projects um, that you know you could take the the shape or the flavor of and apply to conservation, stewardship, education, and lots of other. Um, places across the country. Um, we also have an active Instagram page um, where we post all sorts of great photos, videos from our projects, our field coordinators who are way out there on our public lands do a fantastic job of posting photos of our volunteers hard at work, of the fantastic landscapes, of some of the cool wildlife sightings that they might have. So our Instagram has a lot of great content. And if you're looking for more information, our background, our history, uh, what we offer, our whole suite of programs and projects, that rfov.org is a fantastic place to learn more about what we're doing. Um, lots of, of good context there going all the way back to our founding um, and how we got to where we are today. That's awesome. Well, everyone definitely make sure, um, check out the website, check out their Instagram. Uh, and, and like Ben said, you know, find, find some inspiration for your own place. If you, you know, if you're not nearby in the Colorado area, but, uh, Ben, I want to, uh, thank you for being on the show. I want to thank you for all the hard work you're doing there and for everybody else there. Um, and I, you know, wish you the best of luck for the rest of the year and into 2023. Right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Jeremy, it's a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. 
And hey, if you've made it this far and like what you've heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life in motion. Until next time.